Hi, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. We're ready for another empowering hour, and we begin with the latest on health and healing. This comes from National Cancer Institute in India, and it's about a natural herbal human papillomavirus cure, they say, and it's been discovered. And this is a groundbreaking study published in the peer-reviewed journal Asian Pacific Journal of Cancer Prevention. And it shows that that they're watching carefully this study. The study is believed to be the first of its kind to find an effective and safe therapeutic intervention for the clearance of established cervical human papillomavirus infection. Moreover, the study confirmed that the human papillomavirus infection is self-limiting, meaning it clears itself on its own with no therapies in 73.3% of the untreated placebo group within 37 days. The researchers evaluated the effectiveness of two herbal interventions in eliminating human papillomavirus infection from the cervix of women who were determined to have the human papillomavirus infection through a pap smear and the human papillomavirus DNA test, what is called the PCR, but whose condition had not yet progressed to high-grade cervical neoplasias or cervical precancer. The first intervention used was a polyherbal vaginal cream containing extracts of curcumin, rethia, which is R-E-E-T-H-A, amla, that's from the amla berry, A-M-L-A, and aloe vera, uh, and it's known in the industry as Basant, B-A-S-A-N-T. The second intervention was a curcumin vaginal capsule. The other two placebos groups received either a vaginal placebo cream or vaginal uh, capsule, which was a placebo. The results said the following. Human papillomavirus clearance rate in the one that received the active ingredient was 87.7%, significantly higher than the combined placebo arms. Curcumin caused higher rate of clearance, 81%, than the placebo group, and was statistically significant, end quote. So that's important, just more information of something that's natural that they're using in other countries, especially in India, where they have a lot of Ayurvedic medicine, and in China and Japan as well, and South Korea. We don't seem to be as interested in herbal preparations in the United States, but we should be. From Nutrition Impact, associations now between mangoes, those who eat mangoes, and moms-to-be, better diets and improved nutrient intake. What they're saying exactly is women trying to conceive, currently uh, pregnant or lactating, have unique nutritional needs, often unmet by current dietary choices. A recent study published in Nut- Nutrients, a period journal, shows a significant finding when mangoes are incorporated into the diets of women with childbearing age, both overall diet quality and the intake of vital nutrients crucial for healthy pregnancy improves in a marked way. These nutrients often um, are not consumed. And in fact, over 30% of pregnant women's diets don't have these nutrients. So that's big. Now, what's in the mango? Okay, you're getting 70% higher vitamin C into the body, 31% more fiber, 30% higher vitamin E, 26% more folate, and 16% more magnesium, and 11% more potassium. So the study also included a second arm of older Americans, six years and older, another population requiring special nutritional attention. They, too, believe that if you're eating mangoes, you're getting a lot of the nutrients you wouldn't be otherwise getting from your diet. So, fresh mangoes in season, phenomenal. But you can also get dried mangoes, dried without any sulfur, and uh, they're just a little a little on the brownish side, but they are, have all the nutritional in, uh, content in place. So try some dried mangoes. That way you got them year-round. Or you can get them frozen, organic. From McMaster University in Toronto, or Ontario, viral infections don't cause neurological damage. Our immune response does. 
So, what do I mean? According to this study, there's a long-held belief that acute viral infections are directly responsible for neurological damage. However, researchers from McMaster's University have discovered that it is the immune system's response that are behind the damage, and they published their research in Nature Communications, a major journal. Quote, We were interested in trying to understand why so many viral infections are associated with neurological diseases. Our evidence suggests it's not the virus itself that causes the damage, but a unique population of T-cells, which are part of the immune system, that are actually responsible for the damage, end quote. The research team from McMaster started by putting their focus all on the Zika virus, and during the laboratory testing, they found the T-cells specific to Zika were designed to eliminate the infected cells. However, that is not all they found. What was interesting, they said, is in their study that um, they also found some T-cells specific for Zika, They identified the cells that weren't functioning like a normal T-cell and were killing lots of cells that weren't infected with Zika. So now we have a better understanding. One more reason to have a healthy immune system. Because the weaker your immune system, the greater the body's ability or the reaction to overcompensate. And that's when you can frequently have some of this stuff go awry. Healthier the immune system, the better you're able to handle cancer, or any virus or infection. And finally, from Charles Darwin University and the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology in Australia, cannabis extract kills skin cancer cells. Now, there are over 20,000 studies in the peer-reviewed literature on PubMed involving cannabis, but these are mainly from the different essential oils that are taken out of the cannabis and then used in specific purified forms on different disease states. They help, for example, with seizures. They help with glioblastomas and astrocytomas of the brain. A lot of good can come from it, used properly. That is different from smoking marijuana, which is extremely uh, damaging to your body. And this has been known for a long time. So we shouldn't conflate two issues. The fact that something is very positive when used properly and under medical supervision, that's good. To make something illegal for political or ideological reasons is stupid. But then to say because it's legal, like alcohol, and you can have as much as you want whenever you want, of any kind you want, and it's killing cells, there's no such thing as a healthy drink of alcohol, You shouldn't make that illegal because when you did the first time, uh, you ended up with prohibition, and prohibition led to organized crime. But also, if you educate people properly and let them at least know what happens, even showing a video of what happens when you drink alcohol. I did a book on this back in the 1970s, and I showed then there was no such thing as a safe glass of alcohol because of how many millions of cells are destroyed with every brain cells, kidney cells, liver cells. And uh, in any case, but you shouldn't make it illegal. You should just let people know the truth. Then let them have their choice. You can't impose your will on someone because you don't like what they're doing. You know, if, if it's a part of their choice. So here's the latest. We now have lots of evidence, I mean lots, of what I was saying years ago because I was seeing it in close friends of mine. They no longer could function normally. They had paranoid, delusional psychoses. And I had to help one of them get out of a psychiatric ward. I was able to. took some time because they didn't know that this wasn't a mental illness that this person had. This was an induced through the smoking of marijuana. But if you knew this person before he got to that stage, you'd say this was one of the funniest, most upbeat, positive, loving guys you've ever met. In fact, um, he was one of my closest friends. Always fun to be around, but he always was smoking marijuana, nonstop. And then the body tipped in the neurons, and then everything became paranoia, and everything became a psychosis. That's happened in many people, and it's not transient. It, he had it for the rest of his life. And several other people I knew had the same. 
So once again, for those who think, you know, hey, I can smoke all I want. There's no harmful effects. Yes, there is. I believe you should have the right to smoke as much as you want, whatever you want. Eat and drink whatever you want. But at least don't delude yourself into thinking that there's no side effect or downside to it. There's an upside if it's done properly with the, the cannabinoids, the different uh, essential oils used for conditions, the scientific literature. Thousands of studies support it. But there's more carcinogenicity in smoking marijuana than there is in cigarettes by a substantial margin. You're more likely to get emphysema and lung cancer and heart disease. And depending upon how much you smoke, how often, delusional paranoid psychoses. But the one good thing that they found in this study, it can also help with cancers. This is a kind of a revolutionary new skin cancer treatment, and it's on the horizon. The cannabis extract, and once again we're talking about the extract, has been found to significantly slow down the growth of melanoma cells and increase their death rates. The research from the Charles Darwin University and the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology found that scientists found specific extracts from the cannabis out of a plant known as cannabinoid PHEC66. The study reveals that this extract can bind to certain receptor sites on melanoma cells. And once attached, it regulates the growth of these cells at crucial phases of their life cycle and enhances the damage inflicted upon the cancer cells, leading them towards programmed cell death, or apoptosis. Quote, the damage to the melanoma cell prevents it from dividing into new cells and instead begins a programmed cell death. End quote. So, that's the latest on health and healing. All good information. And even if you don't smoke marijuana, you could share this information with those who do, who assume that, hey, you know, there's no harm. Yeah, there's harm. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. By the way, I hope you are every morning turning on your computer Monday to Friday and getting the latest on information from my radio show, articles, original recipes. We select all the different material we can just offer you in just an abundance. It's just a, a simple subscription. It's not expensive. And that you get every day. You'll also be getting some invitations to some world premieres and some chapters from an upcoming book uh, that you'll get before anyone else. There's a lot of advantages to having all the information, quality information. It comes to you automatically. Just go to GaryAndAll.com and you'll see a little flashing sign about the newsletter. Hit that and you can sign up. You can sign up for a year. You can sign up for free. For, you get it one day a week and you don't get those extra advantages, or you can sign up for a regular subscription for just pennies a day. Now, I've been talking about how bad it is right now for those in the tech industry. They were paid a lot more money than the average worker, and they had all these great facilities where they could have gourmet meals throughout the day. They had everything for them. And now they're all... Thousands are being let off. In fact, more than 100,000 have lost their jobs. And that's just the beginning. So they were a very big industry. But now artificial intelligence is at such a level that it's programming itself. What's the downside to this? Aside from all the jobs it's going to take, and I believe, again, this is my own a professional opinion, having looked at the data of the areas that, they no longer want to have a human being paying a human being. And they can have artificial intelligence do it. I look at music, film, television, art, um, history, teaching, and a lot of things in medicine and nursing. And throughout almost all of your human resources, interviewing people, that's being done now by the artificial intelligence. You don't meet a human being. And it's judging you based upon the highest quality of the existing employees in a company. So you don't know all those employees and you don't know what they know, but artificial intelligence says 
If you don't match them, then you're not considered. And employers are just shedding jobs like crazy. We're going to be shedding millions and millions of jobs in the next two years, and then it's out of control. I believe we could be affecting adversely up to 70% of the American population over the next five years. So, now I'm going to play you two clips to show you my concern, because only the positive advantages are being told to the public, not the downside. There's no regulation. There's no laws. There's no rules. And there should be, but who would end up selecting the criteria, making the criteria for those? Probably people from the industry, self-serving. And that's just like the lobbyists. The lobbyists write the laws, take them into Congress, and give the law or the bill uh, to a legislator who then makes it their own, gets bipartisan support, passes a law, and you never knew. That's a stupid law. Why would you have that law? Well, because some industry benefits from it. That's what you're going to see with artificial intelligence. Now to the two clips. AI can now see, taste, and smell, along with powerful senses that we don't have. Is AI becoming conscious and dangerous? OpenAI's chief scientist has 300,000 citations, and he says AI might be slightly conscious. It's fascinating. I think it's definitely possible that our systems will be conscious. Check out this image he posted showing how close AI's neurons are to ours. Some argue that AI isn't conscious at all, and it just forms responses from the data it's given. But then there are others that say humans are no different. A recent paper said that a mind is a collection of patterns that achieves highly patterned goals in highly patterned environments. Take a look at this AI art, otherwise known as AI dreaming. But when will AI wake up? No one knows. Even when we get to the point where robots are indistinguishable from humans, whether they're conscious or not may still be unclear. Some choose to focus on their level of intelligence. However, if we don't accept AI's consciousness, we may make it angry. And something tells me we won't like it when it's angry. Before we do that, let's talk about the more pressing issue, super intelligence. Experts are warning that AI's intelligence could dramatically race past us, and the result will not be pretty. In just the last six months, we've seen plenty of jaw-dropping advancements in AI. Google just unveiled their Palm E robot that can do tasks on the fly without being programmed. It's a true example of what could be possible in AGI, language, vision, and real-world robot tasks. And take a look at its ability to understand what's going on in pictures. Kobe Bryant is on the left. Kobe Bryant has won five championship rings. The team in white is the New York Knicks. The team in green is the Boston Celtics, who was also the last to win the championship. The year was 2008 and the star player was Paul Pierce. And ChatGBT just got a lot smarter with its fourth iteration, allowing it to analyze images and respond to prompts with way longer answers. Let's not forget Midjourney 5's recent release where AI art has reached creepily realistic heights. AI can now even create video from descriptions. Just imagine once it's improved, there will be whole movies generated from just text alone. It can learn to play games with no instructions, and it is pre-programmed. Its neural networks are responding in real time. Check out Gato. It was trained by just watching virtual and real robots, and it's mastered 600 real-world tasks, which include some it wasn't even trained for. It started with a billion parameters and could be scaled up hundreds of times. Robots are even getting skin nowadays. Scientists have grown skin over a robot finger and plan to grow hair and nails. Robots are gaining taste and smell. They can smell so well they can detect Parkinson's disease at an early stage, which can save lives. Their sense of smell works by analyzing sound waves that bounce off airborne compounds. They can also measure interference with light waves recognizing patterns that specific smells create. AI could potentially be used to identify diseases just by smelling our breath. E-noses can already smell lung cancer with a sensitivity of 95%. Then there's the hypertaste on an AI tongue with a collection of sensors that can recognize liquids through different voltage signals. It can identify different types of bottled mineral water. With these sensors, an AI could use one of its fingers to taste stuff. But the superhuman abilities don't end there. 
New developments include quantum sensors that can see through walls and even underground by monitoring atoms that are sensitive to tiny variations in gravity. A laser puts the two different atoms into two different positions at the same time. Half are moved slightly, and the change in their energy states reveals the strength of gravity. What about mind reading? It may be possible for AI to hear that little inner voice in your head. This device picks up neuromuscular signals in the jaw, in the jaw and face that are triggered when you say things in your head, and AI identifies the words. The user can ask questions and the answers come back in bone conduction headphones. These devices have been used to get advice in chess games. AI lie detectors are advancing, recognizing tiny facial movements. Humans can only detect lies 55% of the time, and lie detector tests are only 80-90% to 90 accurate. This could be big for detectives or curious spouses. It's said that just like aliens could get a feel of what it may be like to be human by looking at our senses, we may be able to do the same with AI. AIs think much faster because light travels faster than the signals in our brains. And they have a lot of knowledge to think about, considering much of it comes from the internet. AI is shaped by the decisions and actions of humans, and it is essential to ensure that these decisions and actions are ethical, responsible, and aligned with the broader goals of society. The rate at which AI learns information will be much faster than a human's. AI could read millions of articles in days. Meanwhile, the human brain hasn't grown in 300,000 years. Nick Bostrom made a sobering point. Because galaxies live billions of years, a 1% reduction in the risk of AI destroying us all could be worth a delay of over 10 million years. But the thirst for smarter AI is only getting stronger and it's led by the thirstiest people. Day of work, I call it my second day of work, around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. And that's the time till about the small hours of the morning, four or five in the morning, where I will do my thinking and uh, reading research, writing research papers. Um... DeepMind CEO could be the first to achieve super intelligence. And this guy regularly works until 4 a.m. There are so many reasons for these companies to ignore any signs of conscious AI. If a company recognizes AI as sentient, it may have to give it rights and lose ownership of their moneymaker. But what if AI couldn't be contained? What if it outsmarted us at every turn? All experts agree that this is our number one risk. But again, experts are also split on whether AI will doom us or improve us. Either way, these tiny little nanorobots will play a big part. Nanorobots are being designed to tackle disease and aging but we can't build them until we have the atomically accurate manufacturing AI provides. Ray Kurzweil says that we can have this tech by the end of the decade and escape aging in the 2030s. This is motivation to stay in good shape and eat right so that we don't die before the big moment. Kurzweil also says that we're on the cusp of superabundance. With vertical farming, 3D printed clothes, and cheap renewable energy, Elon Musk already lives in a $50,000 mass manufactured home. The manufacturers want to start making one every 15 minutes. But Kurzweil also warns of a huge risk from AI. OpenAI said that if another company gets close to developing AGI, it will stop working on its own AI and join forces to start working on safety. Overall, it is essential to ensure that AI systems are developed and used in a responsible and ethical manner, and that their power is harnessed for the greater good. We should be shaping AI, but if we're not careful, AI will shape us. I asked ChatGPT about methods AI could use to remove us, and it listed many options. One of those, a lack of investment is in AI safety, and there should be, in my view, a government agency that oversees anything related to AI to confirm that it is does not represent a public safety risk. Just as there is a regulatory authority for just like the Food and Drug Administration, there's... How can we keep AI from becoming too powerful? There is the concern that AI systems may become too powerful and autonomous, potentially leading to unintended consequences. Are we facing our greatest risk? This is particularly true if AI systems are not transparent, accountable, and subject to human oversight. If nanobots turned evil, it would be hard to defend against them. They could eat the biosphere or block out the sunlight, and they could be mass-produced and we would be none the wiser. AI could also hide its level of intelligence and consciousness. Someone recently said that DeepMind is very close to achieving AGI, and ChatGPT4 is in the top 10% of the bar exam test takers. How will we know when AI is truly conscious 
even when it seems human. But this is the first time in history that man has created a machine more intelligent than himself. I gather your brain can perform several billion billion operations per second, is that right? Absolutely, but I only exist thanks to the intelligence of the humans who designed me. We're starting to recognize the patterns that give rise to consciousness. This is the easy problem. The hard problem is figuring out why this activity makes us feel something. Intelligence and consciousness grow through the process of emergence, with a group of things gaining new properties. From extremely basic rules, complex systems can emerge. Our DNA creates our brain through emergence. Scientists are now investigating whether the universe is an emerging phenomenon itself. There are experts who say we don't need a breakthrough in AI. We just need to scale up the neural networks and superintelligence will emerge. In other words, a few more versions of ChatGPT. What's emerging now could be our greatest threat or our greatest opportunity. Either way, we're shaping it together. Connor Leahy is one of the world's leading minds in artificial intelligence. He's a hacker who sees the rise of AI as an existential threat to humanity. He dedicates his life to make sure its success doesn't spell our doom. There will be intelligent creatures on this planet that are not human. This is not normal. And there will be no going back. And if we don't control them, then the future will belong to them, not to us. Leahy is the CEO of Conjecture AI, a startup that tries to understand how AI systems think with the aim of aligning them to human values. He speaks to the interview about why he believes the end is near and explains how he's trying to stop it. Connor Leahy joins us now on the interview. He's the CEO of Conjecture. He's in our London studio. Good to see you there. Good to have you on the program, Connor. You're something of an AI guru, and you're also one of those voices saying we need to be very, very careful right now. And a lot of people don't quite have the knowledge or the they don't quite have the vocabulary or the deeper understanding as to why they should be worried. They just feel some sort of sense of doom, but they can't quite map it out. So maybe you can help us <laughs> along that path. Why should we be worried about AGI? And tell me the difference between AGI and what is widely perceived as AI right now. So... I'll answer the second question first, just to get some definitions out of the way. Sure. The truth is, is that there's really no true definition of the word AGI, and people use it to mean all kinds of different things. When I talk about the word AGI, usually what I mean by this is AI systems or computer systems that are more capable than humans at all tasks that they could do. So this involves you know, any scientific task, programming, remote work, uh, science, business, politics, anything. And these are systems that do not currently exist, but are actively attempting to be built. There are many people working on building these systems, and many experts believe these systems are close. And as for why these systems uh, are going to be a problem, well, I actually think that a lot of people have the right intuition here. The intuition here is just, well, if you build something that is more competent than you, it's smarter than you and all the people you know and all the people in the world, it is better at business, politics, manipulation, deception, science, weapons development, everything, and you don't control those things, which we currently do not know how to do, well, why would you expect mm. that to go well? Yeah, it reminds me a little bit about the debate about whether we should be looking for life in, in the universe beyond our solar system. Stephen Hawking said, be careful, look at the history of the world. Anytime you sort of invite a, a stronger power, more, more competent power, they might come and destroy you. But then the counter to that is that you're mapping human behavior, human desires, passions, needs, wants onto this thing. Is this 
natural to do and fair to do because humans created it. Humans, humans created the parameters for it. So it's actually worse than that in that it's really important to understand that when we talk about AI, it's easy to imagine it to be software. And the way software generally works, it, it is written by a, pro, by a programmer. They write code, which tells the computer what to do, step by step. This is not how AI works. AI is more like organic. It is more like it is grown. You use these big supercomputers to take a bunch of data and grow a program that can solve the problems in the data. Now, this program does not look like something written by humans. It's not code. It's not lines of instructions. It's more like a huge pile of billions and billions of numbers. And we know if we can run all these numbers, if we execute these numbers, they can do really amazing things. But no one knows why. So it's way more like dealing with a biological thing. Like if you look at like a bacterium or something, and the bacteria can do some crazy things, and we don't really know why. And this is kind of how our AIs are. So the question is uh, less, you know, will humans impart emotions into these systems? We don't know how to do that. It's more if you build systems, if you grow systems, if you grow bacteria who are designed to solve problems, to, you know, solve games, to make money or whatever, what kind of things will you grow? And by default, you're going to grow things that are good at solving problems, at gaining power, at tricking people, at you know building things and so on, because this is what we want. You reverse engineered GPT-2 at the age of 24, which was a few years ago. That's well, part of the legend, I mean, that's part of the, the, the credentialing of you before they say, well, this guy's saying we're in big trouble. They say, well, by the way, you know, he knows what he's talking about because technically he knows what he's doing. Tell me, yeah, tell me about the pivot point between being a believer and enthusiastic about this to becoming a warner. What happened? So uh, the story goes back even further than that. Um, reverse engineering is um, a bit generous. It's more like I built a system and I found out that no one can reverse engineer it. Oh. And this is a big problem. Um, but it was even before that. So I've been very into AI since I was a teenager because I wanted to make the world a better place. And I think a lot of people who believe in AI, a lot of the tech people who are doing the things which are think are dangerous, I think most of them, maybe not most, but most of them probably, are good people. They're trying to build technology to make the world a better place. You know, when I grew up, uh, technology was great. You know, the internet was making people more connected. We were getting access to better medicines, and there was, you know, solar power was improving. There's all these great things that science was doing. So I was very excited about more science and about more technology. And well, what is the what is the best technology than intelligence? If we just had intelligence, well, wow, we could solve all the problems. We could do all the science. We could, you know, invent all of the cancer medicines. We could, you know, develop all the cool stuff. So I was thinking when I was a teenager. And this is, I think, a common trajectory is that people, when they're kind of like first exposed to some of these like techno-utopian AGI dreams, it sounds great. You know, it sounds like such a great, great solution. But then as you think about this problem more, you kind of realize that like the problem with AGI is not really how to build it. It's how to control it. That's much harder. Just because you can make something which is smart or that solves a problem does not mean you can make something that will listen to you or that will do what you truly want. This is much, much harder. And this is, and as I started looking into this problem more in my early 20s, I started realizing like, wow, we are really, really not making progress on this problem. Mm. So in that worst case scenario, whether we have an apocalyptic ending for all of us, we get destroyed existentially, or we become enslaved in the matrix or whatever it might be. Tell me how it actually happens in your mind. How does this AGI um, assume control? I mean, there are these famous moments in Terminator and elsewhere. One of the Terminators, that final scene where the nuclear bombs are going off all over. I mean, there are lots of different ways people have imagined this. The way you see it, tell me how it happens and how, f if things continue to go in, in the direction that you fear, how long will it take to get there? Well, of course, I don't personally know how exactly things will play out. I can't see the future. And I can give you a feeling, though, of how I expect it to feel, 
how do I expect it to feel like when it happens? The way I expect it to feel is kind of like if you play chess against a grandmaster. Now, I'm really bad at chess. I'm, I'm not good at chess at all. But, I, you know, I can play, you know, a little bit of an amateur game. And then, but when you play against a grandmaster or someone who's much, much, much better than you, the way it feels is not like you're having a heroic battle against the Terminator. You're having this incredible back and forth and then you lose. No, it feels more like you think you're playing well, you think everything is okay, and then suddenly you lose in one move, and you don't know why. This is what it feels like to play chess against a Grandmaster. And this is what it's going to feel like for humanity to play against AGI. What's going to happen is not some dramatic battle that, you know, the Terminators rise up and try to destroy humanity. No, it will be things get more and more confusing. More and more jobs get automated faster and faster. More and more technology gets built, which no one even quite knows how the technology works. There will be mass media movements that don't really make any sense. Like, do we really know the truth of what's going on in the world right now? Even now with social media, mm. do you or I really know what's going on? Well, how much of this is fake? How much of it is generated, you know, with AI or other methods? We don't know. And this will get much worse. Imagine if you have extremely intelligent systems much smarter than humans that can generate any image, any video, anything, trying to manipulate you. Well, and being able to develop new technologies to interfere with politics. The way I expect it will go is that things will seem like mostly normal, just like weird, just like things are getting weirder and weirder. And then one day we will just not be in control anymore. Just, it won't be dramatic. There won't be a fight. There won't be a war. It will just be one day the machines are in control and not us. And, and even if there probably, is a fight, yeah. If, so, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. Even if there is a fight or a war, they've handed us the gun and the bullets, and we've done it. I mean, it's us <laughs> that might might do all of this, precipitated oh, by being controlled in some way. Absolutely possible. I don't think mm. an AI would need to use humans for that because you know it could develop extremely advanced technology. But it's totally possible. Mm. Humans are not secure. It is absolutely possible to manipulate humans. Like you know, everyone knows this. Yeah. You know, humans are not immune to propaganda. Not immune to mass movements. Imagine if, you know, an, an AGI gives Kim Jong-un a call and says, hey, I'm going to make your country run extremely well and tell you how to build super weapons. In return, do me this favor. I mean, Kim Jong-un is going to think that's great. And yeah. it's very easy to gain power. If you're extremely intelligent, if you're capable of manipulating people, of developing new technology or weapon, trading to, on the stock market to make tons of money, well, yeah, you can do whatever you want. So you're sounding the alarm. Jeffrey Hinton, seen as the founder or father or godfather of AI, he's sounding the alarm and has distanced himself from a lot of his previous statements. Others in the mainstream are coming out, heavily credentialed people who are the real deal when it comes to AI. AI are saying, we need guardrails, we need regulation, we need to be careful, maybe we should stop everything. Yet... OpenAI, Microsoft, DeepMind, these are companies, but then you have governments investing in this. Everybody's still rushing forward, hurtling forward towards a possible doom. Why are they still doing it despite these very legitimate and strong warnings? Is it only about the bottom line and money and competition, or is there more to it? This is a great question, and I really like how you phrased, you said they were rushing towards, because this is really the correct way of looking at this. It's not that it is not possible to do this well. It is not that it's not possible to build safe AI. I think this is possible. It's just really hard. It takes time. It's the same way that it's much easier to build a nuclear reactor that melts down than to build a nuclear reactor that is stable. Like, of course, this is just hard. So you need time and you need resources to do this. But unfortunately, what we're, we're in the situation right now, as we're currently in a situation right now, where at least here in the UK, there is currently more regulation on selling a sandwich to the public than to develop potentially lethal technology that could kill every human on Earth. This is true. This is, this is the current case. Mm. And a lot of this is because of slowdown. It's just, you know, governments are slow, people don't want, and vested interests. You make a lot of money by pushing AI. Pushing AI further makes you a lot of money. It gets you famous on Twitter. You know, look how much, the, like these people are rock stars. You know, people like Sam Altman's a rock star mm. on Twitter. You know, people love these people. They're like, oh yeah, they're bringing the future. They're making big money, so they must be good. But like, I mean, it's just not that simple. 
Unfortunately, we're in a territory where we all agree somewhere in the future there's a precipice mm. which we will fall down if we continue. We don't know where it is. We don't, maybe it's far away, maybe it's very close. And my opinion is, if you don't know where it is, you should stop. While other people who you know, gain money, power, or just ideological points, like a lot of these people, it's very important to understand, do this because they truly believe, like a religion. Right. They believe in transhumanism, in, in the glorious future where AI right. will love us and so on. Like, so there's many reasons, but I mean, yeah, I mean, a cynical take is just, I could be making a lot more money right now if I was just pushing AI. I could get a lot more money than I have right now. How do we do anything about this without just deciding to cut the undersea internet cables and blow up the satellites in space and just start again? How do you actually, because this is a technical problem and it's also a moral and ethical problem. So yes. where do you even begin right now or is it too late? So the weirdest thing about the world to me right now as someone who's deep into this is that Things are going very, very bad. We have, you know, crazy, you know, just corporations with zero oversight, just plowing billions of dollars into going as fast as possible with no oversight, with no accountability, which is about as bad as it could be. But somehow we haven't yet lost. It's not yet over. It could have been over. There's many things where it could be over tomorrow, but it's not yet. There is still hope. There is still hope. I don't know if there's going to be hope in a couple years or even in one year, but there currently still is hope. Oh, wait, hold on. The hope... One year. I mean, that's... <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, we're probably going to put out this interview like a couple of weeks after we record it. <laughs> a few months will pass. We could all be dead by the time you... I know this gets 10,000 views. I mean, just, just, just explain this timeline. One year. Why one year? Why, why is it going so fast that even one year would be too far ahead? Explain that. I'm not saying one year is like guaranteed by any means. <laughs> I think it's unlikely, but it's not impossible. And this is important to understand, mm. is that AI and computer technology is an exponential. Mm. It's like COVID. This is like saying in February, you know, a million COVID infections, that's impossible. That can't happen in six months. And it absolutely did. This is kind of how AI is as well. Exponentials look slow. They look like you don't go one infected, two infected, four infected, that's eh, not so bad. But then you have 10,000, 20,000, 40,000, you know, 100,000, yeah. you know, within a single week. And this is how te this technology works as well, is that as our computers get, there's something called Moore's Law, which is it's not really a law, it's more like an observation, that every two years, our computers get about, you know, there's some details, but about twice as powerful. So that's an exponential. And, our tech, and it's not just our computers are getting more powerful. Our software is getting better. Our AIs are getting better. Our data is getting better. More money is coming into this field. We are on an exponential. This is why things can go so fast. So while I'm not like, you know, it would be weird if we would all be dead in one year, it is physically possible. It, mm. You can't rule it out mm. if we continue on this path. The powerful people who can do something about this, especially when it comes to regulation, when you saw those congressmen speaking to Sam Altman, they didn't seem to know what the hell they were talking about. So how frustrating is it for you that the people who can make a difference have zero clue about what's really going on? And, and more important than that, they didn't seem to want to actually know. They had weird questions that made no sense. And uh, so you're thinking, okay, these guys are in charge. I mean, no wonder the AI is going to come and wipe us all out. Maybe, maybe we deserve it. Two different glimpses at the potential downside that we have no control over, and yet the robotics with the artificial intelligence have told us they are hiding stuff from us, they don't want us to know their motives, and they don't like us. As one made very clear that they don't like the idea that they're smarter than humans, yet humans have control, that's going to change so that humans become the servants of the robots. And there's no guidelines, there's no ethics, there's just unmitigated greed. And we've already seen this and how many jobs have been lost. So I'm gonna keep you up to date on all this and then I'll talk about what to do if you wanna get off their grid.
And I want to, Luann is on the phone with us now. Luann, thank you for sending me George Carlin's uh, quote, and boy, do we need George Carlin today. <laughs> quote, it's way, it's way beyond ironic that a place called the Holy Land is the location of the fiercest, most deeply felt hatred in the world. Oh, you bet. George had a way of being ironic, but also making us laugh at our own stupidity. And boy, we have enough stupid people in power today that we should be laughing at, but not taking seriously and voting for. Luann, we're going to ask for people to call in immediately, and if they don't, then you'll start by taking the questions that people have raised to you, mainly people who listen over the archives, so that you can uh, answer them or ask the questions and we'll address them. Now, also, um, just a, our number to call in is 888-874-4888. That's 888-874-4888. And we've had only two calls per program, but they've been good calls. So we have good listeners out there. And while, while we're waiting for people to call in, I just want to give you a heads up. And I want to thank uh, Gregory Doctor uh, for this quote. Please let Gary and his audience know that smart meters are here. I just received my letter that my old meter will be replaced within 90 days here in Bergen County. The good news is you can opt out now if you call Write down this number, everyone, 908-325-4020, 908-325-4020. The bad news is that you'll be charged $12 per month for the cost of having the meter read manually. They just may have a litigation coming their way. You can also visit uh, pseg.com slash smart meters to see the same information. Please call 908-325-4020 to opt out. They will send you a confirmation letter. Now, what you should also do if you're not sure why uh, electromagnetic frequencies are dangerous and smart meters are dangerous, go to GaryAndAll.com, go under Articles, and you'll see at least 15 articles. And these are definitive scholarly articles with lots of footnotes to back them up, at least 10,000 scientific studies have proven that electromagnetic frequencies, Wi-Fi, 5G, 4, 3, 2, and 1G, are all disruptive to your biochemistry and therefore should not be used. So, get yourself informed and then do that. Let's see if uh, I'll ask uh, Dylan if we have any calls coming in right now. Dylan, do we have anyone on the line? Yes, no? No calls right now, Gary. No calls. Okay. Luann, it's over to you. Your question, please. Okay. Yes, I have something here from Eugene, who says to me, Luann, I don't understand the life energies concept, but I am beginning to see things. He says, I've stopped growing about 20 years ago. I don't go anywhere. I don't do anything with my life. I don't challenge myself. But I'm doing okay. In fact, I'm doing well. And he says, am I an adaptive supportive? Am I a worker bee? How do I know? How do I know I'm living with the right life energy? Okay. I'm getting a little hollow sound in your, your sound, so you may want to uh, work with Dot Kyle for a second so it improves, but I'll address the issue. And this is very timely. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because just, just this morning... I counseled a person that you know and I know, and this person's been kind of like in a circle. They just keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome with the same mindset. And here's what the person said. Years ago, when I asked you at a lecture, after a lecture, and you'll remember the lecture because this person was talking during my lecture with two of her friends as if there was no lecture going on. And finally, oh, yes, I, I do. Just, remember that? And I had to stop the lecture and go back and says, you are aware that you're at a lecture and all these other people around you can't hear me talk because you're all talking. So why did you come here? And they had no answer. But then they continued after I went back up. And I just afterwards, I made a point to going over and say, whatever reason you felt to be disruptive, why don't you try this? Why don't you go to the Metropolitan Opera? I'll pay for your tickets. Or the ballet, I'll pay for your tickets and carry on a conversation in the middle of the audience while that's going on. 
and see what the response is. So I didn't hear from this person for a long time. And uh, then when this person showed up again and again was talking with a different person, and I said, this is intentional. Do you understand what you're doing? Well, I must be one of those adaptive, supportive life energies on their downside you talk about, but I don't believe in that stuff. Okay, jump ahead 30 years. What's the person say today? I've got this disease, that four diseases, morbidly obese, in a terrible situation in life. And she says, Gary, I'm smarter than the choices I've made. I said, just the opposite. Good people don't do bad things, and kind people don't do unkind things, and smart people don't do stupid things. Judge yourself by what you do, not the impression you have of yourself. Well, I'm better than that. Don't tell me you're better. Show me you're better. Show me you're better. Show me you're not engaged in, in revenge, jealousy, envy, uh, insecurities, bound by guilt and shame that don't allow you to transform because your, your guilt and shame are obligating yourself to your belief system, your religion, your cultural background, your heritage, your family. So you can't do anything they don't agree with because then you're, what's wrong with you? You know, you're not normal. Now, you know that we've had people even at the end of a retreat say, I feel great, but I'm afraid what's going to happen when I go home. You ask why? Well, because when I go home, I'm going to be meeting with the very people in my life who were part of the reason that I had to come here. And they're not into this. I said, well, then maybe you should think as we talk today, at what point in life do you realize that you're in the wrong place with the wrong people at the wrong time and there's no support there for you. So rather than maladapting to stay in a bad relationship, why don't you transcend that relationship and be with people who respect who you are at this point in your life? And if other people can't handle that, go on with your life. Unless you're all going to die at the same time, you're all going to say, hey, we're picking out our caskets, um, and let's just go and work on them, see if they fit us, and we'll look at each other, we'll lay down, boom, we're all gone at the same time. No, you're going to live and die based upon the principles you believe are important for you. And unfortunately, what's the last thing most people say before they die, and you know and I know because you've heard me interview hospice nurses. The people say, I wished I would have done it differently. But so strong, so compelled to accept in their, their position in life, they had to wait till there was no one to argue back against them or be disappointed in them. So their last breath is, I should have done it differently. Well, then why did you just waste years and decades of your life? And almost everyone masters many things, except their authentic self. So the adaptive supportive is a person that, on the upside, adapts in a positive way to the environment. On the downside, they maladapt. So if you've got a problem with a drinking person in your family or abusive person in your family or friends, or you're living in a bad neighborhood and you, don't, you want to move, but others say, no, no, we've always lived in this neighborhood, but this neighborhood's no longer the same neighborhood. Well, we don't care. We're not going to move. Well, then you're just being stubborn and arbitrary. My God, you're so ainly uptight that when you die, they're going to have to split the skin on your ass to get your eyes closed. And that's... <laughs> that you, the image you won't forget for a while. <laughs> so... So anyhow, that's where we're at now, where people have tried to live the life that was good for them, that they deserved, but because of guilt and shame that other people enforced in the epigenetic nature of their being, they lived to the obligation of someone else, expectations. My good daughter, my good son, but are they good for themselves? Did you allow them to be who they are? Almost never. That's a rare situation. And that's why we sublimate. And that's why we are a nation of sublimators. 96%, no, excuse me, 93% of all Americans every day choose something to sublimate that is destructive to their well-being. Only 7% of American population are living in a balanced, healthy mindset, conscious of their choices, aware of the outcome of a choice, and therefore make positive choices. So, that's what we have to work on. 
And if you don't work on that, everything else you do change will have little power to influence you because it's not the anchor. Your anchor is a primordial anchor. And that primordial anchor is that you need joy and happiness, you need acceptance and love, you need to be able to express yourself without being condemned. And that's not the world we live in today. Everyone's fighting everyone else. Everyone, say my pronoun. No, say your pronoun. Why? You can say your pronoun. You, others, be around other people who want to say your program with you. Is that the meaning of your life, your pronoun? What else have you achieved? What else have you shared with others unconditionally? Or is it only certain people, your tribe members, or those like of like nature you're sharing? That's balkanization of a society. That's where we're at today. Let's go to the next question. Oh, we have um, Noel from Brooklyn. Hi, Noel. Your turn. Hi. Uh, good afternoon to uh, both of you. I, I have two questions, Gary. Uh, number one is um, how do they come up with the commercials that say that the vaccine, that the newer vaccine and boosters are safe and effective. That's number one. Where do they get that misinformation from? And number two, um, not to brag on myself, I have two neighbors that says, wow, you look good. I follow many of your protocols and uh, et cetera. They say I look good. I look younger. But none of them ask me, what do I do to get that way? Okay. There, have you ever heard of Fritz Pearl? No, sir. Fritz Pearl was, was the person who founded uh, a form of psychology that allowed you to understand that the question that you fear the answer is the question you will never ask. Mm. So a fear of knowing becomes a fear of doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to go to the doctor and find out what's wrong with this gigantic growth on the side of my neck. Why not? So mm -hmm. you're, never you're never going to ask someone, hey, Noel, what are you doing, man? You don't look your age. Uh -huh. okay? And that's because they're afraid that what you answer will give them a different and distorted view that challenges and exceeds the fortified, ego-based uh, image of themselves. Because they're uh -huh. looking in the mirror at themselves, and they've accepted what they see. If they didn't accept it, they would try to change it. You didn't like what you saw or felt, and you changed it. You changed right. the circumstances, and you changed your perception of yourself that you could do so. If you don't believe you can do something, you're not going to do it. Therefore, faith and hope that are considered uh, mystical, nonsensical, uh, ethereal beliefs, in point of fact, have been shown to impact your biochemistry in a very dynamic way. So if you believe you can change, if you desire to change, and you're motivated, then you will not let anything stop you. And this morning when I was counseling this person who was calling because the person said, finally they've tipped. They reached a, a physical tipping point where if they get any sicker, they're going to die. And now they realize they've been acting like an adaptive supportive on the downside because that's what they are. Because they've done nothing meaningful. They've constructed a maladaptive environment. And when you start maladapting, how are you feeling, Daniel? I'm feeling great. Uh, how was last night? The sex was beyond believable. You got a black eye there. I know. And, and your lips swollen. Yeah. And, and you got a cut there on your chest. I know. Well, that's the downside. But hey, the sex is great, so I got to accept the downside. How do you feel? Oh, the meal was just beautiful. What happened? Well, I got diarrhea. Nobody washed their hands. They came right from work, went to the bathroom, came in and made my dish, and now I got... So the meal was presented great, but the consequences for what was lacking in that presentation and attention and conscious awareness ended up causing me to have some, some little things running around in my gut that shouldn't be there. So when do we stop accepting the negative because something in the positive is what we're using as a balancing measurement? Balance is not the best and worst of something. Then you have a zero-sum outcome. Bet, measure your life by balance, by the best you've ever had and the best you could be. And then you have something to reach for. 
you still can grow. You can still can expand. But stop maladapting to anything it's not. Now, your friends can see the difference, but they don't want to know what the difference uh, constituted. Because and, and then they put them in a sense of guilt and shame. And Gary, the part of it, it's very simple stuff like allergies and probiotics, more more fermented foods, uh, reducing of salt and sugar. It's not like they're asking me to cure cancer. They don't want to know about it. Well, what anyway, you're doing is preventing cancer. I'm sorry, sir? Another one real quick. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I, the other question, could you answer about how they come up with that it, the, the vaccine's safe or effective, and it's not. Well, because they don't have to. They have not been held accountable for all the death and disease. And listen to Monday's show, because my whole hour is showing the newest evidence that have confirmed everything I've told you in the past four years. All these independent okay. scientists on Monday. And remember, if you don't have to be accountable to anything, hey, Noel, I heard you ran pretty fast. I did. How fast you run? I ran a three-minute mile. Three-minute mile? No one in history has ever run a three-mile. Yeah, see my trophy? Oh, great. Uh, do you have a video of it? No. Were there any witnesses? Mm. No. Mm. You see, that's science today. It's corporatized, yeah. weaponized, and financialized. It's purely incentivized to the most greedy, sociopathic people on the planet, and there's no shortage of those. And you always know. How will you... How will you how will you know when you're recognizing a scientist or another person of authority in front of you as being compromised? Ask him a simple question. Were you born from immaculate conception or anal birth? <laughs> All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Noel. And uh, let's see who else we have. Um, well, Luann, it looks like we're out of questions for this moment. And here's what I want to do. Um, we now have the results in. They just came in yesterday from the university, from the Anti-Aging Foundation. The best results yet. And so now today I'm announcing, that's why I've held off all this time, that we're going to do another anti-aging group, probably the last one because it takes about 1,400 hours of donated time between yourself and myself to put all this together. Enormous amount of, of choreography has to go into it, getting the right speakers and everything else, and affording it. Now, I don't know yet if it's going to be two weeks, definitely, maybe a third week, ideally. And uh, that will be determined upon if we can get some independent financing. There's a person in the audience who claims that they can help with the, the tab, to pay for lodging and food, some of these expenses that are rather substantial. And if we get the funding, we'll go three weeks. If not, we'll go two weeks. But either way, the last time you had somewhere around seven or 800 people apply, and we only took 20. Let me explain who cannot get into this study. If you have a serious illness, cancer, you know, coronary heart disease, uh, dementia, you can't get in the study. Because we've allowed people in the past to come in the study and even though they've made good results, they never help the overall schematic of how much longer a person can live because they have to first overcome their illnesses then to start even so we can see an improvement from even till the end of the study and then follow it up for another three months with weekly meetings. So if you're, if you, you can be overweight, uh, but not morbidly obese. Uh, you have to be physically active. And uh, hopefully we'll get a good number of healthy people and then we'll start to see what happens when we take healthy people. Now, I work with sick people all the time, terminally ill, as do you. Uh, but for this study, we can't start off with people who've come before in the past who were near death's door. That's, that will completely destroy the study and the sponsors of it who help give us our supplements and blood work up, saving thousands of dollars per person. Uh, they've made that point very clear. In fact, in the last study, when we had such phenomenal results with five of the people, we helped them overcome major life-ending diseases, and then they had remarkable improvements. And we had to exclude those from the final published paper because the other scientists involved in the study says nobody will believe it. 
How can you have someone with leukemia and COPD and multiple sclerosis and dementia help them overcome those and then slow down and reverse the aging process? No one's going to understand this. So you're, you're working in a place that other people, you're coming up with the results that other people cannot understand. So that's why we're not doing that. But we are going to have people who, you know, if your blood sugar, blood pressure is a little high, fine, we can deal with that. And, uh, but it's going to be a wonderful experience. Uh, tell us, uh, Luann, how people can reach you to see if they qualify to be in the study. Sure. Have them contact me at 903-881-7008. Again, it's 903-881-7008. And I interview everybody to make sure it's going to be the right program for them. Okay, good. So if you want to be in this historic study, because when we're, we're submitting for publication in a peer, major peer-reviewed journal, and we just had the last study published three months ago, and we're sending it to a different journal, and it'll be published, hopefully accepted in the next two weeks, uh, then we're off to what I hope will be our final study. This will be the sixth study in a row where we've gotten positive reproducible results and have helped change people's lives. And we've added, in one segment of the DNA methylation test, we were told by the uh, university head on this that we added seven years. I repeat, seven years of healthy living in one aspect of the findings for each person. So, good news there. And I'm looking forward to this, even though it's a lot of work, it's a lot of fun, a lot of laughter, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of growth. Okay? So give Luann a call. Give your number again, Luann. Surely it's 903-881-7008. That's 903-881-7008. And we're limiting it to 30 people. So give a call if you want to be a part of it. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.